Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome back to Undermine Season 4. I'm Tom Marshall, and I'll be your tour guide, your fish tour guide, as we travel back in time to Destination 1.0. This season, we'll be revisiting 25 monumental shows from the 90s on Fish's Road to the tour that changed everything. Well, and of course, that is fall 1997. And when we arrive there, we're going to stop and look at every single show of that tour on that show's anniversary. And in that way, we can be your companion on this ride as we go all the way back and listen to those groundbreaking shows. Um, My co-host for today, of course, is fellow Undermine executive producer and manager of Billy and the Kids and also New York Times bestselling author of the book Deal, Benji Eisen. Hi, Benji. Hi, Tom. Uh, You know, I am so glad that we're talking about the show that we are today. Uh, I've always kind of adored it. It is 42192 from Eureka, California. And the venue itself has always had this certain mystique to it to me. Uh, It's a fairground that is nestled in the redwoods of Humboldt County. And if you check out the venue's website, as I did last night, it's actually... These days, at least, it's more of an RV park than it is a concert site. And most of the concerts that it has seems to be like these flag-waving, God-loving country apps. So imagine that if you can. You know, I don't know if that was the case back then, but, you know, it's this weird dork rock band from Vermont landing in the fairgrounds of the Emerald Triangle, a place where, you know, weed was the, the number one commodity long before legalization. Uh, so, you know, was the crowd that night, was it a lot of pot smoking deadheads? You know, I, I'd, yeah, I'd imagine, right? And and I also think, uh, you know, some of the band's earliest tour heads, uh, you know, there are Bay Area fans that were stoked for the Northern Exposure and a little road trip. 
But I, either way, uh, whatever it was, it, it led for a truly wacky night of fish. They let their freak flag fly that night, and the show is simply electrifying. It's from, yeah, right? It, it's from April 92. So that is the month that, uh, it's earned the title amongst fans anyway as the, the first great month of fish. Uh, I, I think, you know, whether or not that's true, it's just that, you know, every show that month was notable for something and every show was also unique, just like the fall 97 tour that we're kind of working up to. But uh, Eureka in particular, it's one of those shows that has, it has a little bit of everything. It's got a Colonel Forbin's narration. It's got the big jams. It's got teases galore. Fishy antics, including uh, they do this banter that apologizes for their cover of Lively Up Yourself by explaining that they weren't trying to make fun of the song. And in doing so, they kind of devolve into this uh, vocal jam that kind of makes fun of themselves, you know? Um, and also, I should say, for that uh, that song, the Bob Marley cover, it is, I think, the only known time that Mike Gordon was playing the vacuum cleaner solo while Fishman plays the bass. And then, of course, this show also has that tweezer. And I suspect that tweezer will be our focus today. Uh, by the <laughs> way, yeah, by the way, Mike uh, plays uh, the vacuum cleaner all the time, but just never in public. Oh, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go. So this was his first uh, his public debut of it. Exactly. 2192 and, uh, and not again in public since <laughs> that we know that we yes, know. Exactly. Uh, you know, so uh, I can't wait to talk about this tweezer. Uh, but, yeah. but first, as your co-host, Tom, I think it is my uh, beloved duty <laughs> to uh, remind everyone to subscribe to Osiris Premium on Apple for ad-free podcasts, uh, bonus episodes, and more. Okay, Tom, uh, tell us why we're about to hear more about this tweezer. Okay, well, I'm extremely excited. Uh, today's special guest is very special. And yes, um, she, her name has been associated with the word tweezer in certain ways that we're going to go over. And that's also the case in, in today's episode. And as we dive into each of these shows, we're going to have a special guest who is either at the show or can otherwise shed some light on it or, uh, you know, have something to say about it in some particular way. Today's special guest, I'm delighted, is Holly Bowling. And uh, we're so excited to talk to Holly again. I'm going to let her in from the waiting room in one moment. Um, I had Holly on my podcast, Under the Scales, probably about six years ago now. And uh, unlike almost every other interview I'd done, Holly came to my house and honored me by playing my piano. And it was probably the best that piano has ever sounded. And Holly at the time was touring as a solo pianist, um, supporting her then new project, um, Distillation of a Dream which was the one that transcribed fish jams into piano interpretations. And I also saw her live in Philly and I believe in New York uh, doing that. And it was, uh, it was such a great tour and I loved it. The Tahoe Tweezer might be her best known jam transcription. And uh, Holly continues to perform solo and with various projects, but is also a full-time member of Ghostlight, a great Philly bass band. And I'd like to say hi, Holly, and welcome back. How are you? Hello. <laughs> Yay, there you are. How's it going? Going good. How are you guys? Uh, super. Where are you right now? I'm home. 
Home Where in San Francisco. Okay, West Coast. All right, yeah, we got we got two West Coasters. I'm I'm holding <laughs> I'm holding down the East Coast over here. <laughs> um, so Holly, as I mentioned, your your well known cover of the Tahoe Tweezer came from that show in 2013, but yeah. you also transcribed, arranged, and performed the Tweezer from this show, 42192, as well. And I was wondering, when did you first hear it and, and why you chose to ga- give another Tweezer that treatment, your special <laughs> Holly Bowling treatment? Um, you know, actually, um, a friend of mine, Eric Gould, was uh, telling me that I had to listen to this Tweezer and that I should really transcribe it. And people, people right after I did the Tahoe Tweezer, people would tell me this all the time, whatever their favorite jam was or, you know, whatever Tweezer they heard most recently. Oh, you got to transcribe this. You got to do it. You got to do it. I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And uh, <laughs> um, I've never been like my favorite era of fish was never like the early, early stuff, you know? And so I kind of, I kind of wrote him off and was like, ah, you know, like, A, that's not, it's just, it's, you know, it's never been my favorite. Um, I still love it because it's fish, but it's just never been my number one. And B, I was like, you know, the, the like super dissonant tension and release stuff from the early eras doesn't really translate it as well to what I'm doing with it. You know, solo piano, like (laughs) super dissonant stuff, just building and building it. Like it doesn't have the, um, it just doesn't translate as well. And he was like, no, 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 dude, you got to listen to it. It's, it's not what you would think out of 1992. You know, it's, it's, it's totally different and you got to listen to it. And so I was like, all right, all right. And I went and listened to it. And I (laughs) I think I texted him halfway through and was like, holy shit. Okay. (laughs) You're right. You win. Yeah. And I'm totally going to do it. Um, and it's, you know, it's, so that's how I got there. (laughs) I I agree with you. It's, you know, it comes from the April 92 where fish is kind of making a transition from that, old fish that you're talking about and i agree with you about it it's not it's really interesting to hear but it's not the stuff that i want to be listening to when i'm you know rocking out or whatever to fish but uh can you talk about you know what made this tweezer this is when they're they're beginning to go type two and they're beginning to really experiment a lot and i feel like this tweezer kind of just nails it can you talk about from a musical standpoint what makes this tweezer special you know, what, what, what do they do that's different than just a, a, a I, I don't know if there's a standard tweezer, but I mean, I think there's not a standard tweezer and that's what makes it so good, you know, <laughs> at least for me. Um, but you know, I, one thing that I absolutely love about fish is all the different thematic ideas and, and, uh, yeah, themes that are built throughout the course of a jam. And and sometimes that's one thing that'll be taken on a, a huge arc for 10 minutes and taken to its logical conclusion. And other times it's a bunch of different thematic ideas that are, you know, briefly um, developed and then and then it'll flip to a new one and that one's briefly developed and maybe we'll revisit the first one or maybe it'll be like, you know, walking through each of these scenes in a in a film one by one and, and each one of them is new. And this one is like that on steroids. You know, it's, it's all these different musicals, musical ideas that are thrown out there and, you know, either Michael introduce it and Trey will latch on or vice versa. And they just, you know, it goes from like super dissonant to like, very, you know, and very minor to like super blissed out, beautiful you know, major glory. And it's just, um, you know, I think part of what makes that so cool too, is it's still sandwiched between the super dissonant tension and releasey stuff from the early era of fish. And so, you know, the major stuff coming out of that just is that much more powerful and kind of unexpected, you know? (laughs) 
Absolutely. Um, Holly, maybe to catch people up a little bit, because we started right in without giving you a chance to say kind of what you're up to. Are, are you in the middle of a tour right now or what are you doing? Like the next time you get in front of people, <laughs> what, where would that be and what will you be doing? I am not in the middle of a tour right now. I, I just got home from some shows in Colorado and um, and. Ghostlight is going out on tour in a couple of weeks. Um, we have a new album coming out in October, and we're doing a, a few weeks out in the Midwest and in the Northeast. Um, so I'm enjoying a little time at home before we head out for that. Oh, perfect. Uh, we, we definitely covered it when I talked to you before, but to, to bring people up to speed about what we're talking about here in case they haven't heard you, and I encourage uh, you guys to go check out Holly Bowling after, after this um, but back in your solo piano days, when you covered a song, it's much more involved than what most bands think of when, when you're talking about covering a song, because <laughs> you, you like break it into components and you gave each component a name and then you spend hours and hours deconstructing it, figuring out what all the instruments are doing and then somehow reconstructing it just for piano. And it was yeah. fascinating, <laughs> fascinating. It's, um, it's a bit of a different animal than, you know, if you're, if you're covering a song by a four piece band and you are a four piece band, you know, you're, you're, it's a different thing. Um, I'm, I'm coming at it, uh, with, with those arrangements with, um, sort of a, <laughs> a super nerdy classical background. And the original idea was to, to take, um, the idea of, you know, way, way back in the day, someone might take, uh, a piece of music that was originally written for a symphony orchestra and arrange it for a trio or for a single instrument or something like that. And I wanted to do that, but with the music that, um, that is, you know, near and dear to me, which rather than being a symphonic thing was fish. And so, um, you know, I do, I write out each of the parts, um, on manuscript paper and, uh, and get really meticulous with it. And then, um, you know, obviously I can't play all the notes that everyone's playing, nor would it sound good to do that <laughs> on a single instrument. Um, and it, you know, I'm also not going for perfect recreation. I think it's a, a balance between being true to what was done and, and using the source material and like having all the, all of the very meticulous, accurate information there to draw from, but then trying to figure out what, is actually being said by all of these notes and rhythms right here and and which elements should I pull out and how can I weave them together to turn it into something cohesive that still has that same arc and drives to the same peak as the original piece of music that I fell in love with. So that's that's been the approach. And then, you know, the other thing for me is over time, um, when I first started doing the uh, jam transcriptions of like the Tahoe tweezer and the Chicago wedge and this uh, tweezer from 92 and Arcata, um, I was really really focusing on recreating these jams, uh, in a, you know, reframing them on piano. And then I've, you know, over time sort of shifted my focus into still arranging songs, but then using them as springboards for, um, my own improvisation at the piano and a lot of like weird extended techniques inside my instrument and, um, and just like 
playing with a whole different palette of sounds in there. Um, so it's, it's cool. It's, it's, I think at the beginning I kind of used the improvisation by my favorite band as a, like the source material to get really, really deep into the nitty gritty of what was going on there. And then that kind of informed how I wanted to improvise on my own instrument in a, in a different way. So it's, it's, kind of full circle in a, in a weird way. <laughs> it's just incredible. It's incredible what you do. It's incredible that you can do that with, with a, with a tweezer, because, you know, it's always like sometimes when, when you, when you listen to fish, it sounds so much bigger than just four guys. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're able to do that with just one. And it's, it's absolutely amazing what you do. And I also love how in the process, you really get to dissect what they're doing in a particular jam. So, uh, you know, and, and you really get into the DNA of the jam. So by doing that, do you think that there's, have are, are there any other tweezers? I mean, one of the things that I love about fish jams that are like historic, like this one that we can go back to all the way in 1992 and re-listen is that there's an evolution and sometimes they revisit themes and sometimes they revisit things like, like you said, doing this major bliss in between, you know, dissonance and things like that. Are there any other tweezers that, that you can think of that musically kind of reference or overlap with the, with like the improvisational themes that are found in this one? Or, you know, like, can you find stuff from this tweezer in 92 in other, in other fish? You know, that's a super interesting question. I dorky question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I'm like, uh, you know, tweezer only and have listened to, you know, <laughs> a, you know, all tweezers all the time to try to pick it them apart like that. Are there themes in, and do you hear echoes of this tweezer elsewhere in fish? I don't feel like as far as the like musical themes, like the actual, uh, the actual motives that are in here. Um, but I, I guess I would look at it more in the big picture way of like these, these like shifts in color and emotion from, from, you know, dissonant and chaos to like super sweet major bliss to, um, yeah, to, to some of the really dark minor key stuff. It, it just, it feels to me like this is at like a hinge point from, you know, the super chaotic, raw, manic, dissonant tension and release stuff. Um, and then like looking down the line to these, these, you know, like take the Tahoe tweezer. If you want to <laughs> take my favorite here, um, that one has a bunch of different thematic areas too, but they're much more fully developed and they're much longer. So here there's like probably just as many ideas thrown out, but they're just like fast and furious, you know, they're in it for like 16 bars or 32 bars. And then someone has something else that goes out there and the whole thing turns on its heels and goes in another direction. Whereas, you know, fast forward 20 years and you're looking at, you know, I guess each one of those uh, thematic ideas, same kind of deal, maybe the same amount of musical themes thrown out there, but they're just exploded. You know, each one just blossoms into a much bigger thing before they finish up that arc and then move on to the new one. So I guess that's where I would look at the overlap, right? Is that this is sort of like almost 
portending the future, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like the little oracle, the little crystal ball of like, Hey, future fish is going to do this, but even bigger, you know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> cause I, I also don't feel like it's not like after this one that this became the new jamming style right away. Right. Like I, I feel like this is really like, yeah, it's, it's a window into what's to come kind of. It's a window into what's to come. And at the same time, as you just said, it's also very unique. Yeah, I can't, I think, can't think of another one like this. And I, I, just, I still laugh about how hard I wrote this off at first <laughs> when it was suggested to me. I had to eat my words. <laughs> uh, that's, that actually is a good uh, setup for my next question. Um, so you mentioned that a, a gentleman had, had given you this idea and you don't, didn't really listen much to, um, this era of fish. Um, are you familiar uh, eventually? Did you go back and listen to this whole show or are you really only just familiar with that song? Because we chose these, <laughs> we chose these, you know, these particular shows as we're leading up to 1997, um, for, uh, either they're like super high quality or something amazing happened. This one is kind of like both of that. It's like a, a taper favorite. Yeah, I had heard it I, and I listened to the whole thing when he um, when he suggested it to me. Um, but it's not one of those shows that I know cover to cover by heart. You know, um, I went back and listened uh, last night and just, to, you know, kind of give myself context of what happened before and after the tweezer. Um, but the thing that I listened to on repeat was definitely the tweezer over and over. And, and, <laughs> and for the record, I'm not like anti early fish. Right. Like I, I find it so <laughs> insane, like and so so the energy is so man manic and so dissonant that like, I love to listen to it if I'm like driving down the freeway at 80 miles an hour, you know, but if I'm like having a conversation with someone like the music, not so music, much. it's, it's having a conversation with you at the same time, you know, it's like, okay, we, can, we can, like nothing else can be happening for me to be into that era of fish. And then the <laughs> other hangup for me is like, I just really love listening to the stuff, you know, once Paige got a piano, <laughs> um, yeah, I, it, the whole sound changes for me, but, um, yeah, not writing off the era by any means. No, but I mean, I think also for me and for a lot of people, I know it, it's, it's, we've heard that era a lot, but then it's like listening to whatever's what uh, the newer eras are just because they're new. And that's the thing about fish. That's so incredible is how they just continue to evolve and change and, and keep us interested at the same time, a tweezer like this, because it is so uh, famed and so so iconic, when you played it live, I'm curious, like, what, you, you've, you've performed it live a few times. When, when you do, do you know if there's anyone in the crowd that just, like, recognized it as, oh, that's the, <laughs> that's the one that I need to or, or, or did you announce it beforehand, or, or did you wait till afterwards? 
I don't think I ever announced it. Um, I'm trying to think it's been, it's been a long time since I played it, but uh, yeah. And you know, honestly, when I'm playing, I'm so in my own world. Like, um, I'm I'm very like walking a tightrope, you know, that level of focus to, to try to, uh, <laughs> to try to pull these things off technically, you know, um, in particular, the jam transcriptions, it's like very, but, you know, I've, I've written some, some challenging arrangements yeah. <laughs> um, for, for myself, made my life difficult here. Um, so I don't usually notice anyone's reaction, um, at the moment, but it is cool, you know, after a show to have like one or two people that are like, I know exactly what that was. And I knew from the third note and like, holy shit, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm sure there That's were awesome. a few other people out there that were like, what is going on? But you know, some people definitely are like, yes. <laughs> I'm, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Benji. I was just going to say, it also must be hilarious to hear people, you know, especially for if someone new comes to one of your shows, to hear someone yell out like, 42192. <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude, it's really funny. I was, um, there was a, there was a point in time where I was doing these, um, I was calling them jam teases. So it wasn't a full jam transcription, but I just take like whatever the like recognizable moment is from a jam that I really loved or, or like, you know, a really cool point. That's like the hinge where it goes into something cool or whatever, something, something that's recognizable, but half the time it's like 15 minutes into a song, you know? Um, like there's a, the Camden sand, uh, I think it's 99. It's got like a, a super cool theme in it. Anyways. Um, I'd, I'd work one of those jam teases into the middle of something else completely different in a show and, and people would recognize it, you know? And I, that just to me was such a testament to what, fish has has achieved right like i tell me another band where you can play a 30 second snippet of a particular version of a song that's been played hundreds and hundreds of times and stick it in the middle of something else <laughs> on a piano like not even a recording of the thing but like a piano arrangement of it and a bunch of people in the room will be like oh my god i know exactly what that is and i love it like i don't know it's cool. It's take a quick break but uh if everyone listening sticks around uh holly bowling will still be here when we come back we hope and as promised we are back i'm tom marshall and i'm here with my co-host for today's episode benji eisen and our very special guest the talented Holly Bowling. Holly, thanks again for sticking around. And I wanted to uh, continue a question that Benji asked uh, before we went to break. And uh, it was something that he reminded me of. Uh, and it's kind of something that happens like a, a tension almost with the audience. You say that you get into your own world. And I went to a Steve Earle show and Ooh. he's famous for talking <laughs> a lot, but he didn't for like three uh, songs and he was kind of like looking down I think he was like preoccupied with maybe his guitar wasn't working right or something and he finally said well now I'm going to talk because I've found that if I don't talk in three songs there's this un 
uh, uncrossable chasm that develops between me and the audience, <laughs> and I could never get across it. And he said, I have to break it right now. And, <laughs> and I was thinking of this thing that you had said, which was um, sometimes you get like the audience gets quiet, and of course they're listening to you and they're concentrating and you're working. Uh, and, and then I remember like you said that all of a sudden in, in the middle of Squirmy Coil, the audience starts they, their only part where they participate is they all yell like almost randomly for the people that are working at the at the venue little Jimmy's, Jimmy's off, off to camp, to camp every time <laughs> that must be so trippy for the workers there yeah I, I can only imagine I mean I think about that at fish shows too right like people that are you know working the show and don't know anything about fish and all the like you know, insider we, jokes we love to, to take go a on. Yeah. Yeah. They've just got to be like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> they definitely don't love to take a bath. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so we're talking today about the 421 Eureka, California show. And if I remember correctly, you first started seeing the band actually in 2.0, right? Yeah. Um, my, my first show was, uh, was New Year's 2002. And I was just wondering, with all the stuff that you're doing professionally now, if you uh, continue to actively see Fish live. Oh, my gosh. I'm dying to see Fish again. I haven't seen Fish since the pandemic started. And um, I, my husband has gotten the pet. We, we had a kid during uh, during the pandemic, so it's been kind of a, like, trading off who gets to go. So he's seen a few shows. I uh, I have not, and I am dying to go. I almost made it to Dick's, and Yeah. So there I'll be it back. It's a, it's a phase. It's a, uh, you know, I'm spending yeah, a, lot of, a lot of time on the road and, and want to balance that with actually being home to, to see my baby. But you have um, a super youngster. How, how old and congratulations. Thank you. Um, he's 18 months. Oh, cool. So I think he's old enough now. I think next time I go, I'm going to bring him with me and we'll just have a big old party together. <laughs> and of course you have a, a baby grand for the baby. Uh, I actually have a full-size grand in my living room, my very small San Francisco living room. The piano takes up the entire space. It is awesome. <laughs> well, Holly, you know, I know that you do, uh, you, you continue to play solo shows as well as I know the Ghost Slate obviously, uh, you know, has a full schedule coming up and, and you also do a number of, uh, of other projects. Um, but do you think for your own solo shows that you you'll ever play this Eureka Tweezer again? I don't know. It's funny. I've like kind of moved away from the jam transcriptions, but now you're kind of making me like, <laughs> like I listened to it last night. Right. I'm like, Oh man, I do want to go play this again. So I don't know. I'm, um, I'm doing my first run of, um, like proper solo shows. Um, like, you know, evening with not opening slots, um, uh, in, November, December on the East Coast. So I actually have actually have some set lists to write there. So maybe this will make an appearance. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, Holly, uh, Benji, anything else for Holly? I think we've hit our hit our I think we've hit everything. Yeah. Yeah. OK, cool. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us uh, and for the audience. Remember to review and subscribe wherever you listen or watch. And that is only if you like us, of course. And if you don't, <laughs> save it save it for Fantasy Tour. Um, <laughs> on the next episode, we'll be stopping by the woods of Vermont on a stowy evening uh, in 1992. And the band's guest that night was Carlos Santana. Almost as cool, our guest for the show will be one-time fish employee Shelley Culbertson. We'll see you then. And in the meantime... Don't do too much that we wouldn't do. And thank you so much, Holly.
for coming. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> really, yeah. really fun. Great to see you again. Great to see you too. See you out on the road. I hope so. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Osiris. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.